Welcome to the Indian Silicon Valley podcast. I'm your host Jibraj and on this podcast I speak with founders, investors and domain experts from the Indian Valley trying to understand the art of building a legendary company. In this episode I speak with Sandeep Gupta, co-founder and COO of Innovaser. Innovaser is powering the future of health building a comprehensive data platform and ecosystem for US healthcare and beyond it is valued at a whopping 3 and a half billion dollars as it successfully builds innovative products that empower the entire healthcare value chain the innovator journey truly personifies the motto of india being the new powerhouse of product talent enabling global disruption three youngsters who had previously never worked in healthcare hustle their way to generating incredible value as they tread towards achieving the 1 billion dollar revenue mark we decode how far they have come and what has led to this massive impact through this conversation with sandeep we uncover the guardrails of building a huge business in a large market we discuss how innovator leverages their indian talent base how they build cross border teams and establish a thriving culture to eventually understand how to disrupt global healthcare i absolutely love the frameworks in this episode and i'm sure you will too but before we get there here is a quick word about our sponsor this episode of the indian silicon valley podcast is presented by stride ventures which is one of india's leading venture debt funds becoming synonymous with innovative startup financing in india stride ventures provides comprehensive solutions going beyond venture debt to cater to distinctive challenges faced by high growth and inherently strong businesses backed by leading institutions the fund has a portfolio of over 60 plus diversified companies having deployed more than 1500 crore rupees to date in just over 2 years stride ventures has emerged as the preferred venture debt lender in the indian ecosystem to know more about this phenomenal fund visit strideventures.in that is spelled as s t r i d e v e n t u r e s .in and with that let's dive in to the 97th episode of the indian silicon valley podcast with sandy of innovation thank you so much sandeep for joining me i'm incredibly delighted to be hosting you today No, absolutely. Been a uh, pleasure when we heard that you are going to do this, and uh, happy to be here. Uh, you can just refer me by Sandy. Uh, Sandeep is what my mom calls me, so <laughs> Sandy would be good. I'm going to do Sandy as we go ahead with the conversation. But it's phenomenal what Innovaser has been able to achieve, and to think that there's an Indian team that primarily goes behind building this global healthcare product is mind blowing. and as we decode that you know journey i would like to first start with why healthcare right because a lot of founders early on say that okay it's important to figure out a problem but it's equally important to be deliberate about going after a large a market opportunity as they say and healthcare perhaps is a globally one of the largest markets out there so if you can help us decode part of the early journey with emphasis on how deliberate you were to crack healthcare considering the size of the market and the size of the opportunity i i think that would help a lot of budding entrepreneurs out there 
no absolutely absolutely so it's been a very long journey by the way uh, it's been just like uh, uh, at a very high level like 7 years but it feels definitely been quite a while <laughs> since we got started and everything so just as a quick background about myself uh, engineer at heart then went on to do my mba i am ahmedabad post that working at uh, this heavy engineering organization called uh, ingersoll rand that's where i met my co-founders and from there we got on and started uh innovator uh innovator when we see like started it was more of a research collaboration between howard and morton uh this was focused on those uh small i would say one time kind of project gigs but working with them is where we started working on these different kind of data problems and challenges that we had to deal with we would work with bringing data from an unstructured format into a structured standardized uh, format so that all downstream analytics can really work on it so it was extremely broad based at the beginning as you can see and uh, so this was a story way back in 2013 when we just like started getting the taste of entrepreneurship after our corporate gig all the key founders between abhinav kanav and myself and uh, post like again so this is where we started working with the academia working with the researchers and uh, post that when we raised our first kind of like angel round of funding the feedback that we got was that guys you have built up something which is very incredible why don't you go into the industry uh, rather than focusing on the academia so we moved into that and again uh, it, that was uh, a good move at a very very high level because academia is great to build product to learn but again you can't pay your bills so even the parents started asking that guys what are you up to uh, we thought you had passed iit iim and all those kind of things are you going to do something meaningful or not so it was a welcome move back then but we went again industry agnostic we went with the same thesis uh this was the year 2015 uh we went into a bunch of other kind of like industries it was finance it was retail it was entertainment we had some very interesting customers right in the beginning in 2015 and these were like harley davidson disney walter sclover but the biggest challenge that used to be that we were not able to focus in one specific area and that's when we had to take a very very hard and tough call of going and focusing just on healthcare now i know that we will be focusing on separate aspects of this journey as we go into this discussion but again to answer your first question in terms of like i would say that focusing on healthcare was more a serendipity in terms of that we came on to it rather than focusing into it considering that none of the founders had healthcare as a background uh and like forget us healthcare we did not even had a full understanding of the indian healthcare ecosystem we had to learn on the job pretty much the only focus that we had a very good and deep understanding was the data aspect of it so when the first problem that we got in healthcare which was in 2015 which was working with our first customer which is catholic health initiatives uh, one of the large health systems in midwest in the us we jumped at it we figured it out and then gradually uh, we delved deeper into deep uh, deep uh, into it right now in hindsight and even if i remember my i am ahmedabad days i think they used to be all the business plans that when we used to make during a b b plan days right it was used to be that okay find out the tam uh, of this market and tam used to be a very theoretical construct uh, in terms of that you know what uh, it is the total available market so let's say if i am launching even a given small solution at let's say uh, $1 per person india has got this entire population of billion so <laughs> if i get $1 or $2 it's like a huge tam and this how the analysis used to be right i don't think that at least myself or even my team we appreciated the value of tam back in the day 
however today i can say that like having be, like being where we are today and as we venture into some of the newer kind of areas and everything i think the tam is the single most important question as you start doing anything and it's just not the tam tam is just that the very theoretical large construct after that we have the sam sam is the serviceable addressable market and even further there is the som som which is the serviceable obtainable market now again it again sounds very very theoretical but just to give you a sense let's say if i was starting a restaurant right now in a couple of cities right and uh, if i was to calculate my tam now it was let's say a fast food restaurant right so the tam would be the fast food market entire market across the world now that could be let's say 100 billion dollars uh, so huge tam right now if you look at the sam serviceable addressable market you would say that i am opening it up only in two cities now suddenly from 100 billion dollars it drops down to let's say maybe i'm just making a number let's say 10 million dollars now within that 10 million dollars as well you say how much is serviceable obtainable because you will have competition it now reduces to maybe 10000 dollars so suddenly you have traversed a journey from 100 billion dollars to 10000 dollars and having that understanding is so so important because as an entrepreneur if you can't be brutally honest with yourself in terms of what is this obtainable market that you're going after it will be a huge stumbling block down the line and i have seen many of my kind of colleagues friends from my back my engineering days and my mba days falter on those steps so it is better to put that effort and energy right in the beginning of starting your journey rather than having to go back and redo everything that you spent time on so uh, again just can't emphasize the importance of it we got lucky when we got into healthcare i don't think we understood it from that level of depth and detail but that is a very kind of deliberate step for us as we go into any of the future undertakings that we want to do got it i think that's fascinating to hear pretty much because i hear the words brutal honesty and a lot of awareness that one needs to have especially in today's market considering that a lot of innovation is taking place and it's great how candid you've been in sharing that you know initially it was serendipity but now you are incredibly deliberate about it so wonderful to hear and a lot of food for thought sir thanks for that explanation sandy i think going forward what's also fascinating is uh, i remember from one of your past interviews you mentioning that you know the three co-founders took a one way ticket to the us and started figuring out what's what and you entered healthcare from a point of being a novice to now building incredible data products an entire cloud platform for the us healthcare market as well as now globally right uh, help us understand what it means to decode a new market and have that fresh perspective right like we often hear and it looks very good on twitter to say that okay uh, the beginner's mindset is important disrupting a new industry is possible but how did you do it practically to enter which can rather look like a technical market right because from the outside healthcare seems technical help us just figure out how did you uh, as uh, beginners or as outsiders figure out uncharted territory with healthcare especially early on sure sure so it was not just healthcare when we were like again the move that we had to make was that we were in india working with the research and we took the harsh call of saying that okay you know what we want to be because see there is a nuance right you can be based and probably that nuance has changed a little because of covid and everything because now the world is much more closer to each other so you can still sell sitting out of india a much larger product in the us and i'll explain what large is back in the day prior to covid the rough rule of thumb at least what we used to consider was that roughly if you have to sell a sell a service worth 10 to 20000 dollar annually uh, you can sell it sitting out of india or let's say anywhere but if you have to sell anything which is increasing that let's say 20000 dollar or more annually you have to be in person uh, 
Uh, and it made sense, right? Because let's say if you're spending more than $20,000, it's like a high kind of impact, high impact as well as high engagement sell, right? Let's say if you're going and purchasing a car worth, let's say 15 lakh rupees, or let's say $20,000, you will not purchase it over the over the call, right? So it made sense to be in person. So uh, I think, and that by the way, has changed post COVID now because of everything traveling is banned and everything. But uh, so the reason why, and 2015 was the time 2014, actually, when we had to take this thing that, okay, you know what, let's move to the U S and start doing it. And it was just not healthcare. It was across the board. Uh, and when we like made the decision, it was obviously a fairly like kind of a scary kind of a decision to make. I think the, <laughs> the only thing that was working in our favor was that we were just too young and foolish to know the practical risk that held. And uh, the other thing was that only one of us was married out of the three. So, <laughs> so much lesser liabilities kind of thing. So it was more about that. And it's not a liability. Sorry, that word is wrong. It was more about that much lesser understanding of the responsibilities that we held. Because see, the point was that uh, we could take any decision that we had to make. And it was more about that. Okay, let's go, like, go ahead and figure out. So, but it would be meaningless to say that it was not very, very scary when getting out over here. I still remember when the first travel I made, uh, it was to uh, New York and I had just a couple of hundred dollars uh, with me in cash. And uh, I took a taxi ride that took me $85 to land me at a Airbnb. I was like, dude, I spent 40% of the money that I brought in. And uh, it used to be a very shoe strung kind of a budget. Uh, on which we used to operate, like, again, when we think about those days, it's not that back, right? It's just six years back. But when we think about those days sitting down today, it looks and feels to be impossible. Like, just to give you a sense, like, our daily average kind of spend used to be $30, $35 a day. Uh, we would be crashing at our friend's place or somewhere in order to, like, figure it out. Because, again, it was entirely bootstrapped at that point in time and all those kind of things. So, I think it was a very, very scary decision. Uh, it was, uh, but the good part of that really was that uh, we ended up being very close to our customers, right? Uh, and uh, so just to like, like, from a focus perspective, it got us to focus on the things that really, really matter, remove all kind of zazz associated with it and zero in on the problem statement of the customer. It kept us very, very agile so that depending on what the customer was giving as a feedback, we could immediately transition. And we valued each and every dollar that not only we were earning, but also we were spending. So I think the, the fundamentals of the company got built up very strong ground up back from those days uh, at a very high level, Raj. Got it. No, I think uh, it's very heartening to hear how far the journey has come. And it's so nice to know the, the humble beginnings, right? The, the distance that you've covered now. So kudos to the team for achieving that. And it's wonderful how you've disrupted the market. And I think now that we've covered some of the initial uh, journey, I'd love to come to the platform by itself, right? At the core, Innovasive seems like a data company that services and, you know, uh, helps and builds products for multiple stakeholders down the healthcare chain, uh, be the doctors, patients, or healthcare providers. If you can help us decode how you use data as a mode, how you've looked at the entire problem statement, and maybe also provide context to those, you know, listening for the first time about Innovacer as to what the model looks like and what some of the progressive technologies that Innovacer has built, uh, I think that would be super helpful from a context building standpoint. So, yeah. And again, uh, 
so i'll explain about the data and then i'll explain the business aspect of it from a healthcare point of view right so again uh, i'm sure that a lot of your listeners would have heard this that data is the new oil and again this is not a statement from today that's from late 2000s i would say at the least uh, at the earliest data scientist got that new kind of a terminology that was created and everyone understood that because of the increasing kind of like decreasing storage cost and increasing compute power that is there if you can like really like use the data which is up being created at every instance that we are living in this like uh, wherever we are the data that is getting created the learnings that can be generated from it can be super super kind of transformational as you start using it for all downstream kind of let's say insights application behavior trends and what have you at a very very high level so and again over there the data as a moat becomes such an important part as you are building the business because whatever insights and analytics that you are generating from it helps every additional customer make so much more valuable insights then let's say from a new entrant point of view you will have a challenge in generating so uh, i think at the core of what we have built as an organization the data has and that's been the one consistent so we have made several pivots in our journey right we were uh, the first pivot was we were working with academia we went into industry agnostic we then again pivoted we went into healthcare uh, in healthcare as well we again pivoted we just went into providers now we are again kind of like like branching out in terms of going to payers life sciences and all those kind of things in this entire journey we build up what we call as innovator health cloud but the one consistent thematic that has been there in all our journey over the last 10 years is that the data ability to handle data from highly unstructured sources bringing them all together creating this unified patient record and then helping downstream has been the one consistent thematic all across so that is definitely a big big kind of a moat now from a business standpoint the difference that happens is that uh, and us healthcare uh, again depending on uh, who your listeners are us healthcare is very very complex compared to our indian ecosystem and some of the other places in the world as well so there is one aspect like again us healthcare is advanced from a data standpoint compared to anywhere in the world because you have all this ehrs you at a patient visit you record all of this information because you have to bill for that a patient but the big challenge is that there are so many data silos that end up getting created because as a patient i could go to hospital a i could then go to clinic b i could go to let's say a specialist c and i could go to a laboratory d now a b c d are all different sources of data and like that's one part of the problem because even within a you could have a1 a2 a3 because there are so many hospitals because you could be in new york today you could be in california tomorrow you could be in texas like so this data gets so siloed and distributed that the first part of the problem is can you just bring it in all together create a unified patient record once you have created a unified patient record now can you provide me insights around that on a predictive analytics base that okay what is the risk of the patient what does it look like uh, in terms of future illness or some of the challenges that can come for the patient and from a patient well being it's always a well known kind of a fact that proactive care is always better than reactive care because if you get to the point of reactive care the biggest point is that not only you are putting the patient's life at risk or maybe giving them some severe kind of downtime from their active life but more importantly you are costing a major amount of money into the ecosystem and that money would be borne by the patient it would be borne by the employer it would be borne by the system in general so if you can like again manage data well to start predicting all those kind of outcomes really well then you if you take a step back you can have interventions whereby you can help improve the health of the patient 
as well. To give you an example, let's say if there is a diabetic, right? Is there a diabetic patient? Now, you are measuring the HbA1c. Now, if let's say they are diabetic and they have not had a simple thing as a diabetic test done in the last 12 months, then something wrong is probably brewing up in terms of they may be not on the right medication or maybe they are not doing all kinds of controls that they should be doing. So if you can tell looking at the data that, okay, this person is diabetic, this is a high risk patient because maybe they are running hypertension as well, but they have not done a test. Like at least recommend them to do a test immediately, because if they do a test, at least they will get a best insight and then they can go and see a doctor. So it's very simple, simple, small things. I'm just giving a very simplified example, but they could be very complex thing as well, where you are trying to like really help the patient being taken care as one. And when I say care is one, that's one of the things that we profess with all our customers and all our stakeholders as well, because again, there is the doctor, there is the nurse, there is a medic, like MA staff. So all of them, along with the patient family have to come together to ensure that the patient gets the best kind of treatment and the best kind of care at a very, very high level. Got it. No, I think that's super helpful, especially because it lays down the importance of data, how you were able to foresee how it would play out as well, and then accordingly build products. And I think that's the wonderful connection and the dots connect uh, really well. So I think that explanation is very helpful context. But I think one of the foremost things that, you know, let's say stems from there is developing empathy for the kind of stakeholders you have, considering that healthcare is one of the most sensitive industries out there because you are uh, directly in some shape or form interacting with the end consumer, which is the patient, uh, how do you develop empathy, not just for the patient, but also for other healthcare providers? And how do you develop that within the team? And how has it been an evolving process? I think uh, all of us would love to hear how that journey is played out. Sure. And like, again, that is one of the things which is so, so important for any other budding entrepreneur as well. Uh, It really doesn't matter. Like, again, from our standpoint, when we back in 2014, we were looking at this problem. I think the most important thing that all the, like, it means at our founding team level and everyone that we aligned was that let's like understand the customer problem as much in depth as possible. At that point in time, the customer was maybe a financial analyst. It could be an IT analyst. Uh, it could be somebody who could be on the healthcare side. It could be on the entertainment side, as we defined that we were very broad based. So I think empathy at a core level should be there at a founder level in terms of how and like very closely you need to understand the customer problem. Now, there are some industry where as a user, you yourself understand the pain point and you can go about doing something to solve it. But in a large variety of those, you will probably not have the exact first-hand understanding of a sufficient large number of your customers and getting their feedback at a very high level that what is exactly the pain point. I think to develop the empathy and what I was explaining earlier that the, the scary move that we moved, like went to that, okay, move to the US to understand this helped us like really quite a bit in terms of that, because we were so close to the customer, we could really understand their problems, their challenges, and we could pivot on the fly in terms of what was needed. There were times where we were really spending and our first customer in healthcare, we were spending probably 18 hours in their office. And uh, the story that goes over there is that this was in this uh, small like, again, this was not not exactly small, but this was in the Midwest uh, town of like Iowa. 
and uh, over there in Des Moines, basically. So the state is I won like in Des Moines, and uh, over there we were working at I think at two a.m. in the night or something, and somebody called the police <laughs> saying that okay, there is somebody in the office uh, in this hospital, something is wrong, and uh, it was like really a funny situation. But what I'm trying to say is that working those eighteen hours a day with the entire team, uh, working in the I like in that hospital, figuring out the challenges, being very very close to them. really helped us appreciate the problem and the challenges that the providers themselves go through uh, we worked and like again we understood the problems of these providers the caregivers first hand in terms of what are the challenges that they face with their systems the data so once we appreciate like we understood the appreciation for it i think it became much easier for us to develop those products in terms of what could solve the customer pain point at the end of the day now that being said from 2016 onwards we have made a very focused kind of an attempt to bring on a lot of clinicians onto the team so at this point in time there are numerous number of mds or doctors mbbs like in india and kind of parallel mds uh, mbbs us the same thing after like the mds or the specialist we bring on we have a lot of rns on the team and again the focus point is that as much as we can like really develop that empathy that what the customer is facing i think in this the age old saying that the customer is king try and understand as much as from them is so so important that uh, like it's worth its weight in gold to say the least but the customer centricity is what builds up the entire kind of like the the empathy towards the challenges and the problems that they face wonderful i think lovely pointers to be echoed because it emphasizes on the point that you have to stay close to the consumer and there's no other way or you know shortcut to not having or not being customer centric so i think a uh, wonderful points to be echoed uh, moving further sandy i think one of the core uh, components of building innovation has been uh, having a very large and strong india team for instance right and i think that uh, builds the backbone of the company and there's a lot of talent arbitrage that you've spoken about in the past as well and i'm sure it brings a lot of joy for us to see a large group of indians building these us healthcare products and hopefully i mean soon for the world as well talk to us about how have you looked at talent management uh, what does it mean for you to expand upon you know the much acclaimed build from india for the world statement uh, and how that flywheel has worked for innovator in specific short sure. no absolutely i think like there are a lot of companies now in the india us kind of a corridor uh, that have worked really really well uh, i think we were and again we think that we have been i think lucky enough and i experienced serendipity played a large part of it but to develop one of the like large kind of saas product companies to come out of india and again the goal is to be the largest company in the vertical saas business that was ever there so i think that's the goal that we have in front of ourselves to go and solve and healthcare is that large market where we can accomplish that goal so things and stars are aligning with god's grace uh, accordingly now india plays such an important part of it because from a talent availability perspective it is like great i don't think there is any other place which will offer the same kind of talent however on the cost arbitrage point of view that arbitrage has been decreasing like even from a 2010 perspective when we were ourselves a pass out and like working out in the market to let's say 2015 to where we are today that arbitrage has been reducing uh, so like again for a lot of companies focusing a lot more on kind of training and developing that talent is so so important because there is like and i'm sure you would have heard this from all across the market there is a crazy kind of run for the most kind of talented 
like folks that are there in the market, be that in the engineering area, be that in the GTM area. So how do you A, ensure that you are a talent magnet in terms of you have great culture, you have great kind of growth trajectory, as well as you are a great kind of training ground and a great kind of a launch pad for a lot of folks that come into the organization. I think that particular aspect of the, the, la- the last part of it is something that was like really aced by some of the IT giants that came in uh, early or late 1990s and early 2000s, but something that the product SaaS companies have got a lot to learn from. And again, we are in that journey at this point in time that how do you create that infrastructure and ecosystem that you can bring in that talent kind of raw talent in, and then you can like really funnel them and bring them into a highly trained kind of a resource who can then be used into the product team. And you can use them either into the GTM team, or you can use them across the entire kind of the functional kind of a continuum as the requirement might be. So uh, again, so some of those concepts over there uh, in terms of the, but like, again, arbitrage is a reducing concept for the folks as well it's very very important to and the off repeated thing right to build your own skill set bring your capabilities as you build your capabilities i think rest everything will anyways be a follow-through that is bound to happen got it no i think that's fair enough and i remember you mentioning that it's less about the cost arbitrage but it's more about the talent arbitrage which is to say that the talent is incredibly wonderful and at par with any global level talent out there which is something very heartening to hear and uh, we're hoping that more product companies come out of india and put us on the global SaaS map and global product map as well. So uh, wonderful to hear that. I I think moving forward, Sandy, to that point as well, another interesting aspect is building cross-border culture, right? And considering that we are now seeing a wave of remote first companies, decentralized teams coming in, I think Innovisa for a long time has been structured in a way where a majority of the workforce is still based in uh, India, along with, you know, operations on the ground in the US. Talk to us about what building this cross-border culture means to Innovacer. How have you been establishing it? And what did the transition in COVID look like? Because I'm guessing that it was a smoother transition considering that norm was already there. Uh, But to hear from you as to how you've looked at building a global team from relatively day one, let's say, right? How has that journey been? And how have you looked at cross-border culture? I I think that would be super fascinating to know. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So see, culture plays the most important piece in terms of developing this. Like again, the folks that we are working with, they need to have a sense of ownership that you are trying to achieve something which is much bigger than the sum total of each one who is working on the team. So if there is that higher than like normal kind of a mission orientation in what you're trying to achieve. Now that mission orientation could be that, okay, let's just build the largest company that is out there in the SaaS business, or let's big the, like the product, which is used across by hundred million people and have that sense of ownership, or let's build something which saves a life or X kind of people, or let's say it improves the quality of life of why people. So I think those kind of mission orientation kind of statements are extremely, extremely important uh, as a starting point. Now, once that is done, there has to be a cultural thematic that works across both the markets between the India-US corridor, so to say. So uh, I think over there, we were blessed a little bit that in terms of we chose certain core values which were so, so fundamental to like how at least at a founder level, like we used to think about the business uh, just as a rough rule of thumb. So for example, the first one we talked about that make your customers. So the customer centricity that we talked about, we called it up as make customers superheroes. 
the entire intent of making your customers superheroes was that if your customers win and if they like really move forward be that in terms of the well-being or let's say in our case our customers are the providers themselves so it's not the end customer which is the patient it's the provider so but if you can make your providers life so much better in terms of that they can like maybe get the insights at the right point in time when the patient is in front of them so making your customer superheroes was the first kind of major statement that connects all the two kind of uh, pieces together right the second one then was that okay you know what you need to take moonshots and why this concept of moonshots is very important that okay don't be okay with just okay you have to like really take a moonshot because again if you are in a kind of a community or if you are as a part of the team where everyone is trying to overachieve that what keeps the best achievers together if it is like a level playing field where everyone can just like achieve whatever is so baseline then there is no point so i think the second one is again very important taking moonshots the third one and the fourth one are kind of related in terms of like okay play and work as a team and fourth one was that okay be empathetic empathetic to not only your customers but also to your team members now again because of the cross border challenges and all those kind of things and again now we just don't have in india and us we are also expanding into middle east we are there in the uk so you will work with a global force so until as you have that team spirit kind of something that until as you work together as a group we will not achieve that outcome we are looking for as well as if you don't have that empathy for the person on the other side in terms of that you know what maybe they don't understand healthcare but they are still freaking like working their best to give you an outcome that works for everyone right so having empathy working in the team so that was our third and fourth kind of like the goals that we defined and the last one was like really about that okay you know what you really need to be transparent to your team members right like if you transparency is key so i think like from a cultural standpoint to help run this multi societal multicultural kind of global firm i think being able to define those core values something which is so so important from a culture standpoint has really helped us keep the team together and also appreciate that what each and every one of us is doing uh, in these kind of times that have been around but uh, i think culture is the only thing that like really binds and makes magic so to say absolutely no i think uh, again very very useful in terms of having and developing a framework to understand that there are some core competencies that you can have as a business but to have them uh, as a culture and a team especially as a global one is even more important if uh, almost similarly important and the framework that you've laid down is very very helpful oh, wonderful i think that covers a majority of you know qualitative aspects of what i wanted to understand about the business and i'm sure it gives the audience a lot of context to how to build a saas platform from india for the world in the niche industry uh, as we go forward to conclude the episode i think a couple of final pointers on how you've compounded the business and also a couple of personal ones there and i think one of the core things that stands out about innovation is the uh, 100% year on year growth uh, reaching those revenue milestones and you know uh, the 100 million milestone that you set for yourself becoming a 3 and a half billion dollar company in valuation what not right uh, help us understand that as you scaled in the journey and as a lot of you know young entrepreneurs watching which are building out their businesses what are some fundamentals that has stayed core to the business and what do you attribute 
contribute some of these scaling lessons too, right? If you can share any of those aspects, the more mature parts of the journey, I think that would be super helpful. So on the scaling business and for the young entrepreneurs kind of setup as well, right? I think the first and the foremost thing is that you need to like really have a team that you can trust. And uh, again, we have like, again, internally, we talk so much like for the young entrepreneurs, the co-founders that you are choosing is probably the most important decision that you're going to make uh, from the point of view of creating a business. uh, uh, And if not more, but at least it's at par with finding the right spouse for yourself. (laughs) Let me put it that way. So it's so, so important. So getting a team in place at a co-founding level, as well as then your initial first employees are going to make or break that kind of situation. The second thing that is then extremely important is that TAM, the SAM and the SOM of the market you're going after. Now, again, I explained about that. So it's very, very important that you go after a very, very large market, right? Now, which mark, whichever market that you're trying to sell to, you have to be as an entrepreneur, the first seller for your company selling into that market. Uh, there is an old saying in Hindi, right? And uh, if I can use that, it goes on like this, that, okay, apne mare bina swarg nahi milta kind of thing, right? So <laughs> you, you cannot like really get where you want to be by hoping that you will just hire a couple of sellers and hire and like put them somewhere and they will figure out. I have seen so many times there's the same mistake being done that, okay, you will not get your hands dirty. You are sitting in some other geography and hoping that, okay, the sellers will figure it out. They will not. And again, despite their best intents, it's not that they're trying to to fool you or they're not trying to give you the best outcome it is just that as an entrepreneur you this is your job this is your 101 that you are supposed to do it yourself so please please be as close to your customer be the first seller of your own company if you cannot sell your own vision and your own company trust me nobody else will be able to so that's the like the third thing which would be there and then the as you go along establishing that product market fit And when I say product market fit, you could have a huge product kind of an idea that, okay, I'll do this, I'll do that. But if the market is not paying for it and it's not even a problem, then why build it? So don't fall into the challenge of a builder's dilemma or like getting too much in love with your own product when nobody is ready to buy. So you should be very agile on your like on your feed, so to say, so that you can immediately transition as and when the requirement is and product market fed being extremely close to the customer, kind of the third and fourth kind of gel into the same kind of a thing. Now, uh, and again, the, the easiest piece over there is that, again, I've heard from a lot of like, again, my colleagues and entrepreneurs that, okay, the reason why they get into entrepreneurship is that they don't want to be, what was the statement? They say that, okay, you want to be your own boss. Uh, kind of a thing but that's one of the biggest misconception about entrepreneurship if you end up being in this you will be like the last boss you would ever think about in terms of everyone else becomes your boss it will be your employees it will be your co-founders it will be your customers so do it for the right reasons at a very very high level so that would be like the thing for the young entrepreneurs that are there or whoever is evaluating on the innovator side again with those things now as a hygiene factor taken care of. So we have been lucky that we have established that. I think we are growing fairly comfortably at the rate. And again, but it's comfortable. Comfort is one point of it. But again, growing at now that huge pace at a significant base at which we are 
gets very very challenging so again getting into newer areas newer solutions newer products is the challenge that any company of our scale and size faces and which we are as well at this point in time the focus and the goal is to be that billion dollar revenue company in the next 5 to 7 years is what we are gunning after and again if we can do that we'll probably be one of the largest kind of saas company to have been built in this area and again like now we are focused not only in the us we are focusing into europe we are focusing into uae so this is a global problem that we can solve at scale so again tam sam is huge that we are going after the team is great so again it's a very challenging road ahead yet as is for any kind of setup but again there's a lot of confidence uh in 6 years time frame we have been able to get to that 100 million dollar mark so to say from 0 to 100 uh, so to say so there is that in cars analogy you see right that way you get from 0 to 60 or 0 to 100 uh, kilometers per hour in 6 seconds or whatever that thing is uh, in us at least 0 to 100 we have accomplished in a matter of 6 years so that's one thing of pride uh, for us but uh, there is still a long way to go we are still at 10% of where we want to be so yeah onwards and upwards absolutely always the motto and lovely to you know hear the qualitative aspects of what you mentioned are important factors to note for entrepreneurs and how you've looked at the journey and i'm sure we're all hopeful that the 1 billion dollar mark is not that far away and that we're going to achieve it uh, very soon we're going to see innovation be there i think uh, the other aspect uh, before we move on to personal questions is innovation as an organization has been able to crack us gtm uh, you know in a very very primary aspect given that that's the a uh, forefront and the core market can you help us decode you know because a lot of young entrepreneurs face this challenge that as you build global products what's the gtm strategy going to be uh, given that you sold to large enterprises now for a considerable amount of time at scale any cues there in terms of just uh, gtm strategies or selling to large enterprises uh, would be super helpful sandy no absolutely and it's been again one of the very it's been one of the very fun filled kind of a journey to say the least and as a 25 year old something walking into a kind of these uh, behemoths uh, fortune 100 fortune 10 organizations with that kind of confidence that yes you know what i can solve this problem for you definitely took a lot of guts as i said that maybe it was some foolishness on our part not knowing how large those organizations were but uh, it's been one very interesting journey the most important aspect of that is that please as an entrepreneur be at the forefront of the selling yourself uh, don't uh, like again you you have to do it yourself kind of thing because then the important piece is that when you are talking to customers you will get so many incredible ideas that you need to pivot at the same point when they are talking to you so you have to be having that capability and you need to be like able to walk step in step with a customer if they talk about a problem and you immediately say can we do this will it solve okay can we do this so that dialogue that happens with them especially in that b2b enterprise business and again for us we were working with pretty much the top of the uh, pyramid kind of customers right in terms of like uh, working customer like worth customers where our average deal size is probably like a million dollar to 5 million dollar on an annual kind of a basis so when you're working with them or like that expectation has been set up being able to interact with them in that kind of a real time manner is extremely extremely important number one number two that then ends up being is that uh, when you are yourself doing it and you are right over there your initial first few customers are also extremely important because they help you shape up the so think of it like a discussion that is happening between a customer and the kind of partner right or the company basically so two of them discussing now the customer comes up with an idea 
as the kind of provider at the service provider or the product company, you have to say that, okay, is that idea now scalable? Can I take it to hundred places at the same point in time, you have to service a given customer so that you don't end up becoming just a, another service IT organization. So I think with those guardrails in place, getting the first customers that can marry in that vision and then scaling up becomes important. And then like what you learn from the customer kind of abstracting the most important aspects of it, which can then be made into a repeatable cookie cutter solution that now your team can take and start selling into the market makes like really a scalable and a successful GTM. This entire process is what we call as a product market fitment kind of an exercise that, okay, go ahead, find that fitment. And if this happening, you just start scaling up. And yeah, so again, it, it's like, it is the hardest part of the journey, but once it is established, then the scale comes naturally attached to it. Wonderful. I think, again, very, very helpful. And thanks for sharing that. Uh, I think moving to some of the closing pointers, and these are the set of similar questions that I ask founders to decode their personal journeys. But I think one of the core things that I realized from my research on you was uh, punching above uh, your weight was one of those, you know, core themes that you've carried forward through the innovation journey personally. And it just shows uh, you mentioned it in brief uh, earlier in one of the company values. But if you can talk about what that means and how you've been able to practice that over time and how that phase has evolved for you through the journey, I think I personally would love to hear that. And I'm sure it's going to be super helpful for everyone else. No, absolutely. I think uh, that's the specific trait that we call in one of the five traits that we have in the organization from a cultural standpoint. It is taking moonshots and taking moonshots is like really being able to punch above uh, what you feel you are capable of yourself. And again, the value of it is to prove to yourself that, yes, you can, you know what, do so much more. And just to give you an example, when we were back in India, we had not made any sale in the enterprise markets in the India setup, like saying that, okay, we'll do it in the U.S., Within the US as well, going to some of the largest kind of organizations that anyone and everyone would have said that, okay, you know what, it's a thing that only for 40, 50 year old folks who have the experience to do it as 25 years old being able to do it. Then again, iterating on the product, delivering on it. So I think taking moonshots and being able to punch above your weight class, so to say, is so, so important. And at the same point in time, being extremely, extremely humble about it. I think there is one class of entrepreneurship which of late has come up that is being about zazzy, flashy, and they like it's like they, it's a rock star kind of a culture. I think at Innovacer, we think just oppo the opposite side of it. And at least at a co-founder level amongst us, it's a very humble kind of beginning as to how we think about it. We again are extremely, extremely grateful to our customers, to all our employees who work with us around the founding team members. I think we are in it to like achieve one thing which is very important to create a lasting impact as an organization and solving this real problem that we are after and that's what keeps us all together and as we like in this journey want to create this bigger than self or bigger than all of us combined together kind of an organization that can stand the test of time be worth in terms of revenue more than a specific number which i just quoted in a billion dollars or something but uh, that's at the core of it. So I think all of us, when comes in together is where like something special or some magic ends up getting created. Absolutely. I think a very, very important pointer and lovely to have that echoed. Moving forward, uh, again, I feel that very often we talk about companies scaling, and this is one of my foremost uh, favorite questions on the podcast. Uh, we talk about companies scaling, but not about founders scaling. 
can you help us establish uh, how you personally have scaled through this journey right while it has been uh, six years I, as you were saying it feels like a, a lot of time because so much has gone and so much value has been created more so how have you transformed through this journey what was sandy like in 2015 to what uh, sandy is like now if you can give us a quick overview of what entrepreneurship has done to you personally i think that would be fabulous to hear no, absolutely. I think you grow so much as an individual because you start understanding so much of different perspectives to the same challenges that are there. Uh, you, I kind of become the end point of a lot of challenges that come up. So you start appreciating the fact that just highlighting the challenges are not sufficient, but understanding the solution or coming up with a solution is as much as important. And when you come up with a solution, then like again, brainstorming, because if you hire the best, those folks and everyone on the team is going to be better than you. Then how can you like really have a discussion in terms of that everyone is trying to contribute in a kind of like great teamwork kind of a setup, having that empathy as a part of it and ensuring that the power is in the point that you are making rather than just a deck that has been thrown out or a PowerPoint that has been created ends up being extremely, extremely important. So I think the more that we have gone through this journey, at least at an individual, the humility has increased in terms of what like and how much help have we sought not only from the teams that we are working with but also with the customers that are there so that appreciation is there the perspective that we have gained is uh is great as well uh on the physical side i did not used to have a goatee but i had to put this on as i was selling in the market because otherwise i was considered as a kid in front of them now at least with a goatee in 2015 i used to like okay he's not a 25 maybe he's a 35 something so that used to help me sell but jokes aside i think uh great great journey nevertheless Absolutely. We can only imagine and it's a wonderful how far it's come and still sticking to the core values that define you. Uh, and that's my next question. In fact, for the you know second last or some of the last questions, uh, what are some values and principles that you perhaps uh, live by? I think uh, that defines a person at its core. And if you can just expand upon some qualitative traits that drive you as an individual, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, I think on the qualitative side, as I said, right, like, so like building up something which stands the test of time and something that you can really be proud of so that even when let's say, uh, and again, that gets a little bit on the kind of what drive that keeps that even when you are not there kind of a setup continues to run. So it should not be kind of a setup that, okay, you know what, it is great. So it is not who you are again you will have a lot of cultural traits that the company will accordingly function and like help imbibe but let's say even after like if it is like really something something to be proud of that you have built off it should continue even like if you are removed if you are not there whatever those challenges are now the company needs to stand on its own so i think that realization is very core uh, amongst all the like the co-founders and the founding team members that we want to build something which goes on for a very long time and again while we do that being able to do something more than what we are capable of and being extremely humble about it. So I think all in all, those are the key kind of components that bring us all together. It again, like sounds the same kind of thing, but once you put it to practice is where I think it really starts creating that kind of a compounding effect uh, from a downstream perspective. Got it. Fair enough. I think phenomenal ambition there. And I think everybody dreams of building an institution that outlives them. And to hear that in person is just wonderful. And I'm sure 
in a way, sir, is in that trajectory. Sandy, this has been wonderful, and I don't know what would be a fitting end to a, a great conversation, but uh, two parts. One is that uh, if you can, you know, share your thoughts around how the future of healthcare looks like, especially considering that you have a forefront uh, view of how things are evolving because they're moving to proactive care. Uh, and also, now that you're building this company, product company in vertical SaaS, which is incredibly huge, and a lot of young entrepreneurs look up to the innovation journey. If you have anything to tell them as a final word and how you know you've looked at the journey and building this large uh, company from india for the world uh, i think if you can elaborate on both of those pointers as closing thoughts I, I think it would be a great summarization of a wonderful conversation no no absolutely i think for all the entrepreneurs see the point is that it will feel scary but get into it for the right reasons in terms of that you are really trying to solve the problems or don't get into it because of the zaz because zaz will die out very fast <laughs> it will die out in 3 months 6 months only 1% of the startups survive maybe 5% uh, but again it's gotten easier to now get into entrepreneurship because everyone looks up to that segment but it's it's like that one headline that you will get uh, in some kind of publication saying that, okay, you release this or you've got some kind of like initial round of funding. It is like a very heavy grit work that being said. So get into it with the right reasons in place, put your kind of head down in terms of the goal and the outcomes that you want to achieve, build a great team because when the things get tough, it is the team that is going to help you through. And that is why one of my advice to all other entrepreneurs is that guys, it sounds great to be the only founder in a given company, but please try and get a co-founders as well, because when get goes, get that going gets tough, the co-founders and the founding team members are what are going to keep you together because that vision, uh, unless it's a shared vision, it is not going to get successful. So again, those part become extremely important. Figure out a market which is large enough in terms of what you're trying to achieve. Once you have done that, again, have the thesis of the product DNA in place that what can be sold in one place, you can now repeat it and send it at 1000 other places and then go about establishing the product market fit with yourself being the first seller or the first kind of like person who is on the ground trying to figure out what best to do. Uh, it sounds like, again, very challenging and times but if you put your heart mind and soul to it you will find your pot of gold so to say at some point in time it will be round the corner just keep working hard at it with the right kind of team and the fundamentals in place sooner or later it will come your way if there is and in our case the thing was there was no plan b the plan a was that okay we are going to do this we are going to make it successful if there was a plan b we would have probably gone to plan b at some point in time because there are going to be troughs that are going to come your way i think if as a team you have that motivation because you enjoy working together and you are in this journey together where you are trying to establish the product market fit you will find it you will find your pot of gold so to say and then once you find it then it's a scaling challenge that you will all get onto it together but uh, if like i have to like think back in any of those kind of things i don't think that anything i would redo even if i had to do it a second time it's it's just about getting the fundamentals in place and then just be at it Awesome. I think that's phenomenal to hear and a great, great end to a wonderful conversation. Uh, I've personally taken back a lot of fundamentals to company building and personally as well, considering that you've candidly spoken about the challenges of entrepreneurship and you know, getting into it for the right reasons, not just because of the glamour that comes along with it. Thank you so much for being your candid self, Sandy. I have personally learned a lot and I'm sure everyone listening in uh, will have a wonderful time grasping all the learnings. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I've had a good time as well.
No, this was great. And yeah, look forward to being back sometime, Jiran. Awesome. With that, we come to the end of this conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in to the episode. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're finding value with the podcast, do follow it on the audio streaming platform of your choice, drop in a review, and subscribe to our WhatsApp newsletter to get all the updates directly on your inbox. Thanks again. I will see you next week for another episode. Till then, I hope you record. If you never try, you'll never know. Stay tuned and keep building.